0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as normal, we'll be giving you 20 minutes or so of our thoughts. We're going to be looking at three topic areas that uh, have caught our eye in the last week or two, and the pair of us will uh, will run through them to the, the best of our ability. My name's Chris Bowne. I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst to have a look at these three and we're beginning with a look at what's going on with uh, real estate values at large and um, the irony is that actually by comparison with many other asset classes hotels don't look to be doing too badly at all. Um, INREV which is the European Association for Investors in Non-listed Real Estate Vehicles has put out its latest, latest index which notes that um, things are by and large reducing in value particularly uh, retail and offices the kind of uh, two of the three classic real estate investment classes which have you know had a very bad uh, patch and are seeing a substantial falls in uh, in valuations um, and the contrast with that is the fact that uh, hotels certainly across Europe look to have Modestly risen in value over the last uh, 12 months, uh, according to HVS's European Hotel Valuation Index. So um, hotels shining, while nobody really knows quite when and where the value for offices and retail is going to go. But it's certainly gone down uh, substantially over the last year or two. Um, has have these. Values bottom out. Um, well, there are certainly people are suggesting that, for example, retail is now at a price where it's worth uh, going back in because the values have kind of dropped to a point where uh, you can you can actually get a decent rental return. But we will see.
1: Yeah, so I dug out a blog post from uh, Schroeder's or by Schroders, um And that was by their uh, head of UK real estate, Nick Montgomery, and the head of real estate research, Mark Callender. Um, And they reckon that um, the values are down 21% uh, from their peak in June 2020. Um, And further, they reckon that uh, there will be a A bit more to come in terms of that that capital value decrease, eventually, as they describe it, finding a floor this summer about 25% to 30% below the peak um, in June 2022. So that's pretty grim and that's um, quite a drop. Um, But I I would put forward a couple of mitigations to that. The first is that. of course, we've got reasonably high um, inflation at the moment. Um, so the actual nominal uh, figures won't be anywhere near as bad as this uh, um, given given what's going on um, with inflation. So I, I think we're, it's not too bad from that perspective. The second piece, of course, is that um, hotels are very well positioned in the nature of this decline. Um, um, and in particular the one of the things that we, we were seeing here is that although capital values are coming off um, this is not being driven by the income piece of of um, investment returns um, rents are holding up pretty well and in fact um, Schroders uh, said they were in, in mildly increasing towards the end of last year so that's that that's very good news and of course hotels are brilliantly positioned from the, the from this point of view in a in an inflationary environment in that effectively they're setting their rates um, on a daily basis a nightly basis so that that's very good news for that and there is a certain sense of inflation proofing with the uh with the assets that's not to say there aren't risks out there and there are significant Significant risk, particularly with this banking crisis which is going on. But uh, I mean, uh, it, it, if you want to sort of uh, um, take the sort of the glass half empty um, perspective, you, you look at somebody say like capital economics and they're saying, you know, in, in a worst case scenario, we could get a sort of doom loop going on between um, um, the banks pulling back their real estate lending, and that causing um, real estate values to crash even more, and then banks pulling back lending even even further. And you get this kind of, and what they suggest it could turn into is something like the savings and loans crisis, which uh, listeners with long memories uh, will recall, took place from about the mid 1980s and carried on until the mid 1990s. Now, I have to say, I find this a spectacularly negative, outlook. Um, and if anything, um, my sense is that uh, the mood music is beginning to change. I'm not suggesting we've got a huge outbreak of optimism, but I think fewer and fewer people are, are betting on things getting worse. And there's a sense, well, look, you know if if the forecasts about inflation dropping are correct and there's every sign that they are um, correct that we're going to get you know most people now reckoning we're going to get to sort of mid single digit levels of inflation uh, by the end of this year Um, people are also saying look, we we're probably at the 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 top in terms of interest rate increases there may be one you know 25 bips increase left in the bank of england although you know who's you know maybe not um, but I certainly think that you know we're, we're close to the top in that and people are forecasting that uh, um, interest rates in the UK are going to start dropping um, towards the end of this year and certainly by the end of uh, 2024 um, and and you know and if you look at the, the futures um, markets on this that's clearly what what the market is believing right now as well so overall net net i think if you look at the balance of of opinion it's probably Certainly moving towards the optimistic side of things, um, and hotels are brilliantly positioned in this because, as an asset class, uh, they they you know, they are directly linked to the operational cash flow, and they look particularly appealing um, when you look at the. And it's it's a relative thing as well going on here. So offices are looking a bit ugly, um, retail is looking particularly ugly still, although people are even there are saying, well, actually, we've, there's some bits of retail which has dropped so far as you mentioned, Chris. That they're beginning to look attractive. Mm. So, um, so I, you know. Um, it, it, there, is, there, there, there are um, risks out there, but there's always risks out there. But I would say the balance now is, is just beginning to tip towards uh, a bit of optimism and you know these forecasts that a difficult first half of this year followed by a much better second half that looks more and more likely.
0: Now the next topic we're going to talk about is the whole business of sustainability and Andrew I think you went along to the uh, Energy and Environment Alliance's uh, latest summit in London and took the temperature and uh, perhaps discovered how things are going or where the challenges remain in uh, the whole business of uh, greening hotels
1: yeah well you started off the reporting uh, chris with uh, the latest intergovernmental panel on climate change um reports that came out here um, in march um which was you know just how what is it? it's quite a hard read i have to mm. say I mean, it they seem to get i mean looking at it it gets harder and harder to to decipher exactly what they're talking about um in terms of well you know what is going on here what are your forecasts i mean previously when i've delved into the reports you can sort of say well look they think sea levels sort of go up this amount you know this is the worst case scenario this is the uh, better case scenario etc cetera, etc cetera. but they seem to have pulled back on a lot of that and i think this probably reflects two things uh one is growing pushback to this narrative of ever uh, uh you know this, this this uh the whole net zero concept um there is significant pushback to that um and the second thing is the realization of just how blinking complicated this whole thing is and the the huge amounts of uncertainty that surround it Mm. so um, I I, and 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 you have to approach this the whole the whole piece in terms of uh, climate change and what's happening um, with a a sense of look we don't really know for certain but this is the probabilities and it it, is a question of and I think we wrote about it in Hotel Analyst back in 2006 uh, when the Stern report came out. When And I, I was really taken with um, Nicholas Stern's Sir Nicholas Stern's approach um, by saying, look, this is a, a risk and we need to insure against it. Now, I, I think uh, uh, Sir Nicholas Stern has gone off the deep end a bit and has become very much, you know, we're all doomed. You know, he's running around town with his sandwich board on um, um, declaring that um, but that doesn't make his his concept any more flawed from the point of view well yes actually it you know these are insurance premiums we need to pay up um, uh, to, to 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 try and measure the degree of risk that's out there the debate that we're getting into now is where it starts getting tricky and difficult which is how big those premiums need to be you know Nicholas Stern said, "One of global GDP a year needs to be spent on climate-related uh, mitigation." Um, then he upped that in 2008 and said it needs to be two percent. Um, but that—that—that's real money, and it—and there is pushback to that now. Um, there's especially pushback when it's seen that, well, you know, why are we doing that? Say in the UK and Europe and to an extent the US when other parts of the world which are now much bigger polluters like China and India are doing much less and this is a big question I think which is which is coming up and why it has to be done on a global basis the end of the day you know somewhere like the UK is one percent or so of global emissions so even if we eliminate all our global emissions that's not going to stop the march of climate change we need to work as a global um, community Um, that's amazingly difficult um so that's the sort of background politics to all this and you know hotel analyst isn't probably the best place to to (laughs) engage with that kind of background politics so let's just park that to one side but i think you need to sort of have an awareness of it um before getting into it but but into what's going on um to our sector specifically i think there's very significant threats to our sector from the changes that could come in the regulatory changes that could come in in particular I think that the area that I'm very concerned about is air travel and how much uh, sort of regulatory what's the correct terminology sort of tax I suppose that's going to be imposed on air travel um, and how much of that's going to come and hit hotels because there's the ways of measuring um, greenhouse gas emissions you've got scope one and scope two um, which is broadly what you're either spending on it what you're emitting directly and what you're spending on your energy um, which is then attributed to what you're emitting but scope three is everything that goes on in your business and sort of both your suppliers but also what your consumers do and from a hotelier perspective um, with guests arriving by aeroplane that's a huge potential problem if any of that you know those tons of carbon which the average flyer um, emits um, that gets put back on the sort of the hotel balance sheet, sort of um, environmental balance sheet as it were, that's going to be very problematic in terms of how heavily hit hotels are going to be by these regulatory changes. So I think there's a lot of um, important discussions going to have to be engaged with around this issue and by bodies like the EEA um, and we have to get sort of sensible um, numbers Talked about and something which is going to allow our industry to continue. It's a vital industry. It's a huge provider of employment, a huge provider of um, enjoyment um, and uh, satisfaction for for people. Um, and we we don't want to sort of get into this situation where um, you know it's very significantly damaged by um, overzealous regulators. Now. I think one of the keys to unlocking this discussion is having meaningful measures and um, at the EEA summit I went to they had Janine um, um who's ceo of the uh, uh ifrs the global um ceo of sasb and she's a board member of the global accounting body ifrs and the i think this is probably the best way forward in terms of that that they're going to align the accounting standards with esg standards um, and we'll have sensible numbers to discuss and talk around talk about around this um, and we can you know begin um, proper trade-offs. Um, I, I have much more confidence in this uh, than say the EU approach which is one where they talk about a taxonomy and it's a much more subjective approach and I don't think you could have to be James Dyson to think that uh, um, under the e- EU's uh, approach um, German manufacturers are going to get a better uh, shot at things than say um, you European hoteliers, particularly southern European hoteliers, who have faced that, you know, if they are made accountable for all of those uh, carbon emissions by Scandinavians and Brits and Germans flying to the the hotel. So I I think this is This is growing in importance and unfortunately growing in complexity and confusion as well. Um, They had at the EEA summit, uh, Lord Teverson, Lord Robin Teverson. He's the environment spokesperson person um, in the UK's House of Lords for the Liberal Democrats. Um, And he said buildings, what we eat and air travel were key areas of concern. I directly challenged him on, you know, is air travel going to be considered as scope three? Um, And he really just evaded the question. Well, frankly, I don't think he knew the answer. Um, But if these, you know, if if air travel is conspicuous, um, air travel by gas is going to be put as part of the scope three emission of hotels um, then it's going to be extremely troubling uh, for our sector and we need to be on top of this and we need to be making representations through um, necessary lobby groups etc to ensure that uh, we don't get uh, what I would argue unfairly clobbered
0: uh, what's been going on with the Asian hotel groups? Um, we've had a look at the recent numbers coming out of uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai Hotels, Shangri-La Group, Mandarin Oriental, and uh, Dusit, and um, they've, they've unfortunately they've spent most of twenty twenty three still waiting for the uh, pandemic to be over. But it does finally feel like now, with the Chinese authorities having abandoned their draconian. Uh, rules over over treating COVID. It does feel like uh, finally that part of the world will start to get back to normal and certainly the um, optimism was evident in the comments from the CEOs of these hotel groups um, that they do hope and very much look forward to 2023 being their year when they get back to normal in the same way that um, perhaps in other parts of the world it's been 2022 that's uh, seen that uh, improvement and a return to the good old days.
1: The Chinese are the big spenders when it comes to uh, international travel. Um, so it's a point we have made in the past, but it bears repeating. The Chinese spend nearly twice as much um as Americans do in overseas travel. So in 2019, the Chinese spent 254, nearly 255 billion um, U.S. dollars um, in terms of overseas spend, um, and the Americans is 132 billion. These are um, uh, United Nations World Tourism Organization figures. Um, So, you know, clearly this matters. And It matters the most, not surprisingly, for those countries which are adjacent to China. So uh, um, analysts at Bernstein, um, using data from Euromonitor, pointed out that Asia uh, Asia Pacific is the biggest beneficiary here. Um, About 46% of Chinese overseas trips are made to their immediate neighbors in the Asia Pacific region. But Europe gets quite a big chunk of Chinese um, overseas travel, about 13% in total, um, and probably a higher value as well. I would, uh, would imagine, given that it's a it's a bigger trip. Um, so it's quite important in terms of you know what that can do for us as a sector. I think um, within Europe. Um, so it does really depend on how quickly the Chinese travel comes back. Now, there's sort of mixed views. A lot of people seem to think it's going to be a, uh, quite a while for it to come back. But um, I'm not so sure, um, you know, I, I was hesitant initially. I thought, well, it serves the interests of the Chinese government uh, regime um, to you know be relatively slow in allowing their their people out again because you know, there's a huge tourism deficit in China far more people go over outside travel outside of China than actually come into China um but um the signs so far are that that you know they're not really um sitting on their hands um this is the the Chinese government in allowing their people back out on the road again um I think we um we saw last month the um the, the Ministry of Culture and Tourism, um, approving culture and tourism exchange groups. So this is a bit of group travel coming back, a, a huge part of the China's outbound uh, market. Um, also the business travel piece. So there are they resumed um, in mid-March the visa-free six-day travel policy so that uh, if you're a passport holder from one of 53 countries, which includes most of Europe and uh, you know the America's key countries in America's so like the US and Brazil etc you, you can rock up in China um, and just get a visa on arrival um, and, and be allowed to stay there for six days and that, that's a real facilitator of business travel I think um, which is going to be great news if so there there are good signs that uh, you know that, that, that we're going to see this come back just as quickly as we've seen it come back everywhere else in the world I mean there is huge pent-up demand and the Chinese want to get out and travel and experience just as much as every other person globally um, and in fact the International Monetary Fund said back Back in January, in its update, that China's reopening, um, to quote, has paved the way for a faster-than-expected recovery, and it was pushing up um, its GDP forecasts uh, from its uh, October report. And it's also, um, well, we can't um, actually give the figures because they're still embargoed as we record this podcast. But as journalists, we get access to the to the numbers, and they've been uh, ticked up a little bit as well Um, in the latest, the April. update of uh, economic forecasts so I, I think we've got good news coming out of china um and it's good news for for the, the our um industry
0: now it's time to turn to our five star and no star awards of the week and um well it's a tale of two halves we have got um, both awards are to do with the business of tourist taxes and i suppose we're going to be giving five stars because here's one that's been very well executed and no stars for one that's well, should we say it's not so, not so well explained? So five stars are going to uh, the new tourist tax in Manchester.
1: So it's one pound a night, uh, started on April the first. Um, but that cash is being used directly to promote tourism in Manchester, and it's the. Um, 74 hotels and guest houses have signed up to the scheme um, and it's part of Manchester Accommodation Business Improve- Improvement District um, and and so it's controlled by um, this group um, and that the money is going to be used to help boost and promote um, tourism. And in contrast, in your yes, neck of the woods, Yes, Chris, the
0: Welsh Government is pushing ahead with plans to... Uh, to have, launch a bill which will enable them to uh, put in place a nationwide tourist tax for across Wales. Um, it's not been clearly explained how much they're thinking it might be, it's not been very clearly explained what the funds raised might be used for and therefore it's got quite a bit of opposition along the way. Um, and there's still plenty of time for people to carry on being upset about this because it's going to take at least a couple of years before they get their bill in place um, and then before they actually start to tell us what the plans are. But, uh, you know, again, it's, a, it's another, another case where a devolved government in the UK is potentially going to put its, uh, its own parts of its own region at a disadvantage when you set them against uh, somebody who's got a guest house just across the border
1: yeah and I, th- I think the most troubling thing with this is there's no ring ring fencing of this cache and um, no guarantee that it's going to be used f- um, to promote tourism it's just going to go into the general coffers of the Welsh government for for use on whatever they whatever they want and uh, I, I think this is the problem with it so uh, you know uh, one level we've got what it this is a tax I think this is no question this is just another way for a, a government to raise money whereas the other um, the Manchester scheme is very much a levy which has been done by the industry itself to facilitate tourism promotion which is a, a net that's good thing. Um, so there's two how to how to do it and how not to yeah, do well it. Yeah,
0: well, that's hopefully note. Know, we say goodbye for now.